I notice when people use the word private, it still gets us a little bit closer to the fundamental thing that we wanted to get away from. And that is that there are things inside of you that need to be different. Okay. Um, and if they could be different, then you'd behave differently. Do, 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 do. Welcome back to Act Root to Fruit. My name is Marcel Tassara, and this is a podcast about being as precise as possible in the work that we do with our clients. For those of you interested in, in practicing from the contextual behavioral science approach, including ACT and FAP and uh, clinical behavior analysis and passion-focused therapy, how can we be working flexibly and not contributing to any kind of control agenda that's so ingrained in our mentalistic way of, of being as humans. So excited, so, so excited to uh, bring you Mitch Freiling today. We, we get into this word function, and that's really at the heart of a lot of what I've been after here in, in this podcast. So um, looking at behaviors as functions and, and looking at how inner behavioral thinking and, and psychology um, con contribute to the work that, that you do and how you approach clients and the dilemmas that clients bring and, and, and obviously our own, assuming you have dilemmas too, like me. And then we get into private versus public events, you know, the thinking and, and feeling versus, you know, what's, what's being seen and, and, and witnessed by outside observers. Uh, Mitch Freiling is a professor at uh, Cal State University. He's a chair of the Division of Special Education and Counseling there. He um, works a lot in behavioral theory and philosophy and writes in those topics a lot with uh, Dr. Linda Hayes, who he did his PhD with at, at uh, Reno, and uh, is the current editor of The Psychological Record. Before we get to the episode, I just want to mention that I was drawn to ACT and the contextual behavioral sciences in part because of how in line they, they are with my own personal philosophy and, and values, and also because of the experiential components to the training. And uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, that we can memorize all the words in ACT books and listen to all the podcasts and interviews and go to all of the conferences um, and yet until we start to metabolize some of this in our own lives and, and put into practice some of these principles um, it's kind of hard to, to communicate that and be um, a functional contextualist with clients. I'm a firm believer that the work that we do in our own lives as therapists to show up vulnerably for our stuff pays off tenfold in, in what the ways that we can show up for our clients. So that's what, that's what the training group's all about. I'm, I'm a firm believer that the work that we do in our own lives as therapists to show up vulnerably for our stuff pays off tenfold in, in what the ways that we can show up for our clients. So that's what, that's what the training group's all about. Hope you enjoy this episode with my man, Mitch Freiling. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to, to chat about this stuff. One of the things I keep thinking about as as I was um, getting into into some of your articles, especially the the you know public private stuff and function, I, I just kept thinking about how interesting it is and how can we make this a discussion that isn't assuming that people have memorized everything you and Linda have written. 
you know? Because I mean, I could I could sit here and, and geek out and try to show off and impress you or something like that or whoever, and I don't know how useful that'll be um, for other folks, yeah. you know. And you well, know that. I mean, I don't know. You know. Yeah, I agree. It can get kind of uh, uh, burdensome to assume that someone's gonna, I don't know, try to get through all of the stuff that might not be immediately interesting, I suppose, but. There are lots of different, I mean, you just mentioned a couple of topics, I think, that um, are important. So you mentioned the idea of function, you know, you mentioned um, the public-private dichotomy. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've found myself trying to explain some parts of some things as a way to kind of, um, I guess, get people sort of interested or get to know the interbehavioral position kind of little by little, because um, I think it's really hard to dump up the whole thing um, okay. all at once. So, yeah, let's 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 get into the function stuff. I'm, I'm excited cool. to talk about that. And I, I really uh, was digging on some of your some of your functional perspectives. Yeah. I feel like it's as close as one can get to taking a hallucinogen without, you know, <laughs> without ingesting any, any chemicals. It's, it's, it's trippy, man. All right. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool topic, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I just wrote down to myself, you know, why function is cool. You know, why would I be so interested in that word or that mm -hmm. topic? And, um, it just strikes on so many issues, I think, that um, emphasize um, interbehavioral thinking, you know. So for one, in behavioral circles, the word function is used like, I mean, it's like function this, function that, you know, mm -hmm. could I be more functional? Yeah. Or this is functional this. It's like, oh, let's be, you know, function is the <laughs> like... We could just call everything function and, we're and like, or contextual. Yeah, like we're like making it, you know, and like you know, like casual conversation, right? Like, yeah, I just uh -huh. want it to be more like functional. But um, a functional space, kind of a contextual <laughs> functional space we could create. Yeah, um, but it's like, you know, it's not used in um, a very consistent way. Actually, it's pretty confusing, and um, you know. Skinner really used that word kind of in a causal way, although I don't think he wanted to, but, um, you know, functions kind of ended up being the reasons why someone did something or the mm -hmm. cause of behavior. Mm -hmm. um, Once I you know the function, you know the why, kind of, you know. Yeah, kind of why it's happening. And then, you know, the idea, and it's a really great idea. I really like this idea. And I remember liking it um, in graduate school a lot that then you would know, you know, what to, what to change. And, you know, of course, usually that's something in the environment and mm -hmm. is definitely a step above um, the whole idea that the cause is inside the person. So function as cause is Skinner's thing. Um, and actually a lot of people still use that word that way. I mean, mm -hmm. the, it's, it's, it's the cause. People use it as the purpose, um, which is closely related, you know, the purpose of something, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. um, but I guess the purpose of something is different than what caused it. <laughs> so 
then there's like, yeah, you know, the that is a question I have about that. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm going to ask the question. Well, done. yeah, like that, both of those are kind of, you know, so I think function as purpose is kind of how we would talk to anybody like, you know, we're going to a function or an event or mm -hmm. something, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, either of those are, you know, that's two different ways. I think that um, behaviorists find themselves using the word function as okay. purpose and cause. Yeah, that's um, that's something I, I often think about in terms of the, the 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 therapy world. When I think about one of the confusions I've had along my my journey has been, well, so if if function is what you get, if what the client gets from their be what their what sure. from their action, yeah. then what what is the how do we consider what their motive was? Because that's you know that's I mean that's kind of that, when I think of function as purpose, I'm thinking more of like what the what the what, what's the purpose of me doing this now? What am I getting? Because oftentimes those don't, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Purpose and what you're getting, you're saying? Yeah. And motivation, you're sort of. Well, mentioning. or consequence, you know, consequence versus purpose. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably talk about maybe purpose is what you're saying in this context as kind of a motivational type thing. Okay. But in behavioral thinking, I mean, that's still tied. Well, I'm talking, I guess, in. I'll say traditional behavioral thinking. I don't mean that in a bad way, but um, that's still tied to the consequence because those concepts, you know, motivational operations are tied to reinforcement and whatnot in behavioral uh -huh. thinking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but I guess, I, and but to take it back to the the kind of mixed use of the word is is I'm, I was kind of getting at some of that in terms of like when it's so when it's so overused it's it gets kind of dicey as to what what it actually is pointing to yeah well the word can kind of start to become um less useful if we're not really sure what it's even being you know when someone says that word to me i don't always i have to pick up from some other mm. you know the context of the conversation to try to figure out how they're using it and they might not know themselves because it's used in so many different ways. Okay. You know, I was thinking about this um, word, kind of thinking about us meeting today. And, um, you know, the word function is also used in the whole idea of functional contextualism, which is almost like um, it's also used in kind of an applied to, to allude to applied things, I think at times too, that it's, you know, it's it's more useful if it's applied and it's um, kind of focused on uh, clinical issues. Um, but again, another use of function that I don't know, like there, what the function is actually referring mm -hmm. to. Is it referring to the purpose of yeah, yeah. something or the cause of it? Or um, so, you know, I think. So like an idea like causality, just thinking about interbehavioral thinking, that's really kind of a core um, issue that there wouldn't be one thing that's causing something. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be interested in the cause because there isn't a cause. You know, it's a lot more complicated than that in interbehavioral thinking. In fact, it's, you know, a field of factors that we're interested in mm -hmm. and none of them cause anything. Um, Col you know, can we say collectively they cause? Sure, it's your things are still determined, but they're determined if you want to 
say by the collectivity of things that are all okay. present. Yeah, that's it. That's I'm I'm on board with that. Okay. Um, but we, you know, the I think part of the there are many problems with this idea of cause, but you end up searching for the cause if we're thinking about things that way, um, and that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that could sort of get us off track i think overall if you know first of all we're not going to find it we're just going to find out that it's really complicated the more we do the more we're going to find out that uh -huh. there isn't a cause um but you know there's a you know the term too i, I was thinking i've thought about this a lot the term um this is the sort of thing I do, I guess, when I'm taking walks and stuff. Nice. Um, the term also is used kind of a, as a um, way to talk down on descriptive things, you know. So in like traditional behavior analysis, it's like, you know, functional analysis is better than like a descriptive assessment because you're just describing things or like, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, functional anything is seen as better. Um, and I don't think it's someone actually, no one actually uses the word better, but um, it's seen as um, more useful than descriptive um, stuff. But the thing is, is, um, you know, if a function's just a relation, which is what it is, mm -hmm. um, then it's a description of something. And if you're describing a relation, um, that's all you're doing. Um, you're not, finding the cause of the relation or the purpose of the relation you're describing something and it's a really i think um sort of humbling way of looking at things too like god it's really complicated there are lots of things to explore mm -hmm. here and lots of lots of functions um, mm -hmm. um okay so yeah it's a much more descriptive term in uh interbehavioral thinking um, and it sort of loses its bite then, you know, a function and description mm. are sort of not really that different, maybe than, um, you know, what's all this big deal about function versus description? I don't know. Well, I'm wondering about um, how do you get past just looking at topography if you're just if you're considering describing things. I don't know what, um, I guess I'm not sure if I know what you mean by looking at topography. I think looking, we can looking, all- Looking past. I think we can only look at, you know, something in relation to something else. And topography is all anyone's looking at in relation to some other thing. And then it's a function. I mean, that, you know, it's part of it. I think it's part of what people are interested in is what they're doing. Okay. Um, but I, I guess, um, you know, the it's coming up probably because of the whole topography versus function, you know, and the over-focus on what people are doing yeah. and less of a focus on why they're doing it or in, in interbehavioral thinking or in what's participating in the field with which that particular behavior is occurring mm -hmm. um not not the cause of it not the purpose of it but not to just look at the topography and certainly we don't want to do that um yeah okay all right uh so you said functions are relationships yeah that's sort of yeah 
that's in, okay. I mean, I, I feel like I'm overly asserting myself saying that, but yeah, that's how I look at functions. That's okay. how interbehaviorists look at functions. Um, similarly to kind of just like a line, you know, mm -hmm. in math where there's just a functional relationship and okay. it doesn't mean anything more than a description between, you know, factors, which. Okay. And so, and then I'm on that note, I'm wondering about something that jumped out to me in, um, I believe it was your article, the pseudo problem of private versus public. Okay. And the, the, the line was that behaviors don't have a function. They are functions. Yeah. So how does <laughs> yeah. that, how does that play with what you just said? Well, I mean, so if you think, you know, this idea that behaviors um, or that functions are causes or purposes or then there are things that are sort of properties of the behavior. So like, what is the function of the behavior? You know, mm -hmm. well, there isn't a function of the behavior. It's behavior is always occurring in relation to some other thing. And that could be the function that you're analyzing, but the function isn't the cause of the function. I mean, it's kind of okay. like going wacky, you know? Okay. So if if a function is if functions are descriptions of relationships then there can't be other functions that are <laughs> causes of you know but it, uh -huh. listen to us though this is part of this issue with this word it's like what it's a function of a function to a what are we you know in the end what we're doing is looking at a relationship um okay. and i think that um that idea that you know behaviors are functions is also getting at the issue in interbehaviorism that it's not an issue, but um, maybe a unique feature of it. Um, the whole idea of interbehavior itself, that you know, behavior doesn't occur on its own, it's interbehavior, it's functionally related to the stimulating context. So it's it's um you know, I don't know. I'm sort of rambling a bit here. No, but, um, I don't think so. I'm, I'm following you. Um, uh, yeah, I, I stand by that line in that okay. paper, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess where I'm, I just wanted to kind of double back on is, is functions are relationships and so are behaviors. Sure. I, yeah <laughs> it sounds funny to me because i think we're saying something similar just careful if we only talk about behavior the tendency could be to look at it separate and then that the function is some other thing mm -hmm. that isn't right there participating in that field okay i I, I like the first part better than the second part of what you said. What's the first part? <laughs> Functions are relationships and so are behaviors. Yes, okay. behaviors are related. They're, they're occurring in relation to other things. But I think that then we're just saying the same, the first okay. thing again. Yeah. <laughs> what, how do you um, describe, like to, to someone who's never heard of Cantor and doesn't know what interbehaviorism is, what's your, like, I don't know, dollar store? um oh explanation gosh. of yeah of that well i don't know um you know the first thing i'd say is that i think 
all behaviorisms have a really fundamental thing that they have in common, and that is their aim to focus on uh, developing a natural science of behavior that avoids um, any inner uh, sort of hypothetical constructs that are placed within people um, mm -hmm. and that then people end up being blamed for their behavior. And so I, I would start by saying we're all, you know, there's a larger um, similarity among the behaviorisms, regardless of what behaviorist you okay. uh, might be. I think that the most fundamental thing um, that behaviorists, um, I hope, are committed to is to pursuing a natural science approach to things that avoids you know all of the issues that we you know people being shamed people feeling you know mm -hmm. uh, systems design that blame people for their issues now i'm already not doing the elevator speech question answer that you said <laughs> but i will say that to me uh interbehaviorism is more thorough in that regard on that note of being uh, exceptionally detailed and specific in the commitment to developing a natural science of behavior than any other behaviorism that I know. Okay. And that's why I'm drawn to it, because okay. I really, really, um, you know, that that idea there that the natural science of behavior thing that that avoids blaming people for their behavior is huge. It's, a, it's an enormous idea. But, you know, the truth is probably part of the difficulty is it's hard to give an elevator a uh, quick, um, you know, it's hard to talk about these things quickly mm -hmm. and accurately. Yeah. Um, and functionally. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to forget about the function of it all, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I mean, and I, I don't want to get too lost on this, but I, I'm, I am interested, like, you know, I mean, Cantor was um, around before Skinner started to do his his heavy lifting and, and I'm wondering why he wasn't more influenced or didn't rely more on some of Cantor's um, work to to untangle some of his own stuff that he was he was working on yeah I think um, well I think first you know given that thing that I think um, you know there there's some similarity like I just said some important similarity. I think Skinner was interested in other things. I think he was interested in going about this whole, you know, pretty, you know, wild idea, um, especially, you know, at the time that, mm -hmm. you know, your behavior isn't caused by things in you. We, it's hard to get rid of that idea even today. Um, uh, I think Skinner was interested in research and in collecting data and, um, you know, went about it in a different way as far as developing that natural science. So I don't know how influenced he was by Cantor and I, I don't know why he wasn't influenced more other than to think that they were just influenced, they were interested in very different things. Okay. You know, Cantor was a philosopher. Yeah. And while Skinner was, you know, wrote a lot of theoretical stuff, you know, I don't know that that was the main thrust of his, his uh, work. At least not at the beginning, I suppose. Huh. Okay, that's a, that's a probably you know also a lot is said about the differences 
um, between Skinner and Cantor. And I've been thinking about this too and how I talk about things. And I'm sensitive to the fact that um, they're contrasted, at least in my work, um, for the purposes of um, focusing on the unique features of interbehaviorism and mm -hmm. less so, you know, um, to dismiss, you know, Skinner's work or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if it says, you know, why didn't they work more together in, during their own careers? I imagine it was that they were focused on different things. Um, why now? Um, it could be the same, you know, behaviorists are still largely, you know, interested in data and experimentation. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, I was um, giggling to myself out loud. Um, a couple of lines of your articles and you know the the, the physiologists of the future or now <laughs> a jab or two there that were, were pretty good yeah yeah so okay so what what else what else sir do we want to talk about as far as function what else do we what do you have well, there i you know i i think i think two I think too much is made of the distinction between function as being something different from description. And I think that's a really core um, thing that uh, I would be good for people to kind of take away of an interbehavioral approach to think things. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean that then there might not be people who are studying functions as descriptions in the context of clinical work and um, to me in fact that would probably keep them closer to uh, what's what's happening also if they avoided function um, as cause or purpose um, so I, I think the, the word has sort of taken us away from things a bit um, can you say more about that, what you just said at the end? I don't know if I caught the thrust of that. Well, I think the more descriptive- Not about taking us away, but yeah, but before that, yeah. Like about function as descriptive and- Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Well, I think it, um, I think the more descriptive we can be and the more tuned into the field we can be, the more close we'll be to what's happening. Um, and. I think we just have to be careful when words take us away. Mm -hmm. And I think descriptive language keeps us very close to things. Um, okay. Yeah. And when you say field, you're, you're referring to uh, a palette of things that are contributing to yeah, my I'm hand using, moving right now or. Sure. Yep. The interbehavioral field or the psychological event, yeah. you know, this, this is a, a term that, um, Cantor uh, wrote about proposed um, to it's a it's a construct to kind of capture what we're studying in psychology, mm -hmm. um, but it is sure a conglomerate of all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and it's so kind of what I what I'm hearing you say is like the more that we can have an appreciation of the different elements that are um, acting on us or our clients or whatever we're we're focused on. Yep. Um, 
the less we're going to say, oh, it's it's just the wind blowing or. Well, we just don't want to overlook something important. Um, And, um, you know, it's complicated. Uh, Things are complicated, much more complicated than non-field based uh, orientations uh, allow for. Okay. Um, you know, I I think that once we start thinking about causes, we start to focus on something, we start to, um, you know, think about something is more important than some other thing. It's really complicated. And the whole, the whole interbehavioral field idea, um, in my experience, lands much more quickly with clinicians for that reason, because mm-hmm it's like boom yeah it's complicated Mm -hmm. it's really complicated it's not just one thing it's not this doesn't just work that way it works that way with this person in this situation and only if this is also happening and da 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 da. you know it's it's that's the interbehavioral field right there like it's Mm -hmm. so i think the more descriptive we are once we sort of drop this whole thing about you know causes and purposes and all that, then we can start to get closer to all that. And it is all of that. It's, it's complicated. Okay. Do you, do you get any feedback ever from clinicians or BAs about like, well, why even try to figure it out if it's so complicated? Well, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't focus. Yes. I think sometimes yes, to answer your question, um, which I don't know if I'm doing a good job of, but, um, uh, yes, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't focus on something um, that seems to really be part, a, you know, participant in that field. Um, obviously, you can't, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to go bananas and mm-hmm. you can't do everything. But um, um, yeah, so I think that you might have a field orientation doesn't mean that you can't focus in that meaning in your clinical work or in research or whatever. Just careful not to forget that what's really going on is a lot more complicated than, okay. than that. And, and you could overlook something really important. Okay. Yeah. So function does not equal cause. Yeah, no, I don't know. Not only does function not equal cause, I don't think there's a cause, period. Um, that's just as far as interbehavioral thinking goes. Okay. Things are determined, but not by a cause. <laughs> What's a thing? <laughs> well, if we're focusing on, you know, behavior, what we mm-hmm. do is influenced by, as, as you said, kind of the collectivity of uh, okay. things, but but not just one thing. Okay. And what, what is real? Dang. <laughs> <laughs> what is real? Well, I mean, um, I don't think that there's, um, you know, I think in the writing that I suppose I've done some of um, about reality, we end up talking about reality in the sense that we um, would like to discourage people from the idea that they are studying the reality uh, and rather understand that there isn't 
a reality. Um, and similarly, that they won't discover some ultimate truth about that um, also. Yeah. So, so kind know, of like, like the song Hotel California isn't inherently good. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, um, there's not one real thing, I suppose, mm -hmm. if you want to talk about what's real. Um, okay. Now, you know, I don't know, that seems like a weird thing for me to be saying. I feel like I need to unpack it with like several paragraphs or something, but. I'm, um, I, you, you can, I'm, um, I'm happily all ears. You know, and to appreciate the fact that you're also a participant in that. Um, mm -hmm. So interbehaviorists don't spend a lot of time thinking about uh, that. Um, and I think in particular in relationship to the whole concept of truth and truth criteria and whatnot, I find all of that, um, I don't know what, I, I find myself um, not interested in wondering if something ends up meeting truth criteria or not, because I don't think things are true. Okay. And and is that's in line with the, the functional contextual perspective, right? There isn't some ultimate. Sure. Yeah. Although the whole, you know, anything I can read about functional contextualism ends up talking about truth criterion and how there are other truth criterion with other worldviews. And um, I don't find myself, I think the more important thing is the natural science aim and that that should be what is really the focus of um, be it any sort of behaviorism. But I find myself less interested in all of that talk of metaphors and whatnot. Not in a like bad way, but yeah, just doesn't. I don't know what it's doing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I and I asked that question because it was an interesting point that um, um, uh, Steve made to me recently when I interviewed him about how you know, our biggest arguments with our clients and in, in, in general, probably with other people are what's real and what's not real, you know? You mean as far as, I don't know, give me a, uh, I don't know, give me something more to work with as far as their uh, uh, everyday example. Yeah. Like, did well, that really happen? Well, we could say, uh, we, I mean, let's go to Hotel California. <laughs> That's a really good song. It's, it's, it's just, it just is to anybody, anybody who listens to that should appreciate that. It's just, you know, was birthed from naturalness, I guess. Yeah. But then is the, I guess the struggle being that, um, so is it like objectively like really good? Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's, I think that, that, that might convey what I'm trying to get at here a little bit. Well, as soon as we understand that our experience is um, really complicated, our whole history is really, you know, individually, our histories are complicated. In some ways, our histories are shared um, uh, as members of groups. Um, but if you really, if that's where you are, then, well, there's nothing that's really objectively like that song is objectively good. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, I wouldn't even find myself, you know, you might debate it with friends for, you know, for fun or something, but, um, you know, whether or not it's actually um, truly and really good. I don't know. I don't find it. I don't know. I don't ask no, questions I about, I don't ask those questions. I don't find myself curious about them. And I think that's because I'm an interbehaviorist. And, and would you, <laughs> if I were to be speaking to Mitch of pre-conversion, would, you know, it would be a different. Maybe. And I think that's all just to say that um, uh, the field orientation, the dropping of the contingency um, idea, operant, respondent, things that were much better than uh, mentalistic things, I will add. So I'm not saying I'm against that, but mm -hmm. looking at things from a field perspective has shown, really made it very apparent yeah. how um, unique everything is um, yeah. and how complicated it is. Can you... And, can can you talk more about that progression? Because you, you're what it sounds like. I'm, I'm suspecting is that your progression was one from a kind of mentalistic worldview, which is you know what we all are are trained to be, and then more of uh, what you said, operant. What did you say? You said you respondent, kind of operant, yeah, operant, operant respondent. Sure. Yep. And I'm wondering about that shift for you in in seeing behavior that way to now your current view? Well, um, I mean, you know, again, the most, if I think about what's most important um, and what drew me to behavioral thinking ever, again, was uh, seeing people being blamed for things that they did mm -hmm. when uh, clearly the context was being overlooked. And I have connected with that since I don't recall um, not connecting with that. I think that's the most fundamental thing. Yeah. But then there are kind of layers that take you away from that. So like once we leave, um, you know, mentalism land here, blaming people for what's going on, um, then, okay, well, operant ideas take you away from that right they they help you look at some part of the context um that isn't blaming the person yeah same with respondent ideas they definitely take you away from blaming the person mm -hmm. very useful to you know those those models are great look look at all of the stuff that we've done with you know operant and respondent ideas mm -hmm. gosh um and then i you know, there's always like, yeah, but that doesn't always totally work that way. And like, oh, I don't know, like, even when I found the reinforcer, it's still like when I took it away, it still like was happening. But like, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it didn't always go like that. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, like, yeah, as it didn't fall in line, like those ideas would have you think that it could or would. And so you know, the whole idea of there being an interbehavioral field that um, cap that construct captured the complexity that we're interested in, I think, um, better than those other ideas. Um, 
that doesn't mean I'm against those ideas, by the way. I yeah. think the operant and respondent uh, paradigms are very useful and they should be employed, you know, where they, where they, um, you know, where they're helpful and where people are interested in studying them more. And, um, but they are, you know, those are constructs that are focused on a narrower part of the field that, and it's important to remember that, but, you know, once I land at this field idea, you know, that things are really complicated, I'm like, crap yeah things are complicated you know where aren't they you know yeah. and you know it turns out some of those operant um ideas and respondent ideas are have been most successful in settings that are relatively less complicated mm -hmm. um because um you know more things can be controlled and if mm -hmm. everything can be controlled sure enough they work that way but well, when can those things be controlled? You know, um, not, yeah. not, not very often and not, yeah. it's not easy. So I don't know, that's sort of my progression to more interbehavioral thinking. You know, I also always thought, um, I guess, you know, we mentioned private events a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was a little lazy, you know, like, Oh, everything cool is just a private event, I guess, you know, and I, I remember thinking that was so cool. Like, not that I, I mean, I'm not dismissing the enthusiasm towards that idea, but, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, you know, what about thinking and feeling? Oh, yeah, that's, that's there, too. It's just private. Well, where does that go? It just sort of stays, um, you know, it didn't, I don't know, it didn't seem to go all the way as, as far mm. as cohering with everything else. So, you know, I still get really blown away by these ideas of, you know, that, you know, what someone's thinking and all that, that you yeah. could, you could notice it and that it isn't in them and how the idea that it's in them somewhere is so odd. Um, you know, of course you can notice what someone's thinking. So, you know, I fall more and more aligned with interbehavioral thinking. Um, mm -hmm. the more I get to know it. What, and what this in and out, I, I, I guess I'm wondering is part of the problem with seeing a private versus public environment that we, we send, we kind of tend to ascribe some magic to the private, like, yeah, you know, I think you're, you're right that the private ends up being, it's still kind of ends up carrying some of that um well sort of dualistic idea still mm -hmm. this like oh there's a private thing happening that's why the public thing is happening or mm -hmm. you know what's going on um so i think that's part of it um and you know to give if, if you think of how that idea came about though it probably was a really and is a really good in my view attempt to you know, behaviorists are careful not to call private events ca causes, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not causes, you know, we're not mentalists, mm -hmm. um, fair. Um, but then what's going on, you know, there and um, I don't know that I view people as having being kind of lopped up in parts like that, like I have what I'm doing, and then I have what's happening privately, and I, I'm kind of doing all of it at once. Um, 
And I think that, you know, the issue is um, when you don't really know someone very well, you, it's all quite subtle. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the more you get to know someone, the more you have a history with them, um, you know, you can see what they're thinking and you, their private events aren't that private. Yeah. And that calls into question, you know, and I'm, I'm sure clinicians notice this too, that, you know, they, they see what their clients are or notice what their clients are thinking and feeling. And that's not because they're on the inside. Um, that's yeah. because your thoughts and feelings are your whole, you know, your whole person here responding. And, um, so, you know, as you get to know someone more and more, you, you can see exactly, um, you know, okay. what they're thinking and feeling. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about this as I was sitting in a lawn chair and, you know, it's like, you know, it's got the metal tubes and they're hollow inside and there could be bugs crawling in the tube for all I know, but until they do something that, um, that like enters into a relationship with me, you know, whether it's a sound or they, you know, burst through the tube for, or what, you know, then they're there. And I was kind of trying to think of a way to think about that in terms of similar to these thoughts and feelings that we have. Well, I think your thoughts and feelings and they're there. I think the metaphor for this idea of the bugs being in the chair kind of works in the sense that they're always there and you don't always have the experience whereby you might notice them yeah um was and that's that's the observer that's the observer's limitation not the right not yep. my limitation as the chair <laughs> right and it's also not um in this uh you know that doesn't mean those things are private and inside of you um you know they're they're right there they're mm -hmm. just subtle things and I think many of us have that experience of, you know, long relationships, for example, you mm -hmm. just, you know, like, you know, yeah. you're mad at me right now. No, I'm not mad. I swear I'm not mad. No, I, I, you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about at all. Uh, so, but, but again, okay, here, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you, but on this word private, can I, can we use, is it okay for me to use the word private in my life? Well, sure, I'm not. As a as an interbehaviorist, if I want to be an interbehaviorist, can I use that word? Well, I'm not here to tell. I know you're asking me what I think. Um, you know, so of course you can use whatever word. Um, but um, I don't know why you want to, I guess. You know, I don't know what it does for you. I think it makes it easier for some of this stuff to connect with people mm -hmm. who are still mentalistic. And it lets some kind of idea that there's still this inner outer thing going on um, that the whole world believes in. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. you know, if you use that word, well, you know, personally, do I mind? No. I mean, uh, you know, does it help you in some context communicate some idea? Maybe. Um, but I think it helps you because it's still... Um, gets to hang on to some of that stuff that you know um but if i'm not if i'm not ascribing some like kind of magic ethereal quality to things that are happening within my skin um 
or below my skin thoughts and feelings. Okay. Um, I, I guess I'm, I sometimes stumble on what, what's a big deal with considering it as private. I think there's a danger um, to me. I notice when people use the word private, it still gets us a little bit closer to the fundamental thing that we wanted to get away from. And that is that there are things inside of you that need to be different. Okay. Um, and if they could be different, then you'd behave differently. Uh -huh. There's, I just want to, and you know, it, it, I think that we could focus on something else um, that would probably be more helpful. Um, you're talking about us, us two, in terms of what we're talking about right now. Or? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I mean, that, in general, I think when people yeah. are talking about that, I think, well, what are you talking about? You know, and I, I have to really get it out of that uh -huh. concept in order to figure out, um, you know, what is that person really talking about when they're talking about a private event? They're clearly not talking about a private event because that's not a thing. I mean. Mm -hmm. So then what is it? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if, okay. it, if, but you know, I, I have to admit, I sort of connected. I, I just don't, I don't, I have a hard time going back. Uh, I don't want, I don't mean back in a, like I'm ahead, but mm -hmm. going back to this other way that I was more familiar with thinking Yeah. because I, it just sort of has fallen apart as far as the idea that there's a thought in you or mm -hmm. a feeling in you. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I think your behavior is much more complex than that um, allows for. Okay. Um, and it's, I don't like is, chopping it, it up that way, really. Did it take it's, you some time, You would you say, to... to I mean, I, I would imagine as you continue to, um, as you move on in your life, your appreciation of these concepts broadens or whatever. What's my, what am I actually what I'm trying to say here? Well, I, I guess um, what I'm really trying to say is like, it's I, my sense is this is something that for me is it takes attention and time to really, to really wrap my head around. Sure. It's, it's very different. This point in particular is yeah. a difficult selling point for interbehaviorists. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this particular thing is, you know, Linda and I, in particular, Linda Hayes, um, has, this is really kind of her thing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but um, I just think the more you experience life, though, um, at least so far for me, the more I notice that um, not knowing what someone was really thinking in a meeting or whatever really has to do with me not having access to a part of their history. Um, and that's all it is. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just notice it more and more. And I notice more when I, you know, can notice people thinking and feeling things. I, I guess I just don't, I increasingly 
find myself less interested in the idea that there's something different happening inside of me that's separate from my public behavior. Okay. And I don't even think of my behavior as, you know, I think we're just, you know, individuals behaving in a context. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think of it as being cut up into two different parts. Yeah. Um, One of the, I the think things that's that very hard. I've had people tell me, I, I, I agree with everything that you say, except that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. Hey, you, that's yeah. the trickiest. I think that is the trickiest uh, part yeah. probably to jump over. So if, if you're like right there, I don't know, let it sit with it for yeah. a minute. Because, yeah, read um, about it. Yeah, I, I like, I, I've really been, um, I, I think that the morning for me, you know, before I've got my head cluttered with a bunch of other things and it's a, a good time for me to, to have space to, to think about things and chew on things, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. My Angelo said that she, in the morning, she's a genius by the afternoon. She's just, <laughs> I, don't, I forgot what word she used, but some derogatory word towards herself about how stupid she was in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I really like I really like Emily's article uh, from 2019. It's a little three pager on the clinical applications of inner behaviorism, and she uses this uh, clay metaphor. And um, so I, I think that that's a nice kind of bite sized thing for people to to start with potentially. Sure. Yeah. And um, I don't. You know, I I can't speak to the detail. I've read that article I think twice, but what stands out to me is the. Um, how this field idea is so present to what's happening in a therapy context. Um, and I, you know, I'm really happy that, um, you know, clinicians are relating to that idea, to the, yeah. to the field orientation of things. The, the public private thing, I was, one of the things I wanted to run by you was in terms of communicating how, you know, we are able to detect what someone is thinking, you know, that they're having, thoughts and emotions the example with like professional poker oh you know i mean if, if those guys could they would wear welding masks but they you know they can't so they wear glasses and they wear hats you know you've seen that have you seen that but on, even then their opponents probably know what's going on right i mean if they've played together a lot they mm -hmm. know like hey when mitch is in this situation and all this has happened i know that actually he doesn't have a straight face you think that's a straight face but that's only a straight face to you as the audience member at home or wherever mm -hmm. uh in fact those players are probably really tuned into each other yeah um, yeah it's actually a cool example <laughs> yeah thank you yeah um so hmm do you, do we want to talk some i don't know if we have time to talk some about um you know this this construct and event situation and um sure there's a nice segue into that i don't know because i didn't i didn't have time to to um to read all that sure we can um you know it's one of there's the things some, go ahead or if there's some more about public private that we didn't get to that you thought would be helpful for folks um well you know again i i don't know i think it's a hard a hard leap like i said um but i do you know, think um, people should ask themselves if they say they're studying private events. Um, I've heard lots of this, you know, we're going to study private events and then they do a study and it's not on private events at all. Hmm. It's on some, it's on something else. The thing is, it's never been studied because it's not a thing. Wait, you just you know? acknowledge <laughs> private events and saying that example. 
<laughs> but I mean, but I mean, you know, it's um, I, I I I hear sometimes of the uh, like increasing research supporting private events or something, and I think, mm. yeah, but that wasn't on that, and actually that's related to this idea of uh, constructs and events too, and that you know you're confusing what you're studying with what you say you're studying. Okay, and you know, so one of there are, I was going to say one of my favorite things about interbehaviorism, but like everything turns out is probably one of my favorite things. Um, but, you know, Cantor was really explicit about distinguishing between constructs and events. And really, that's just constructs kind of, you know, things we say, how we talk about what we're doing, and what we're interested in, you know, what we're studying, and noticing how often we confuse what we say about something with the thing itself. Mm. And this is a danger because, um, you know, we do a lot of talking about things. We have all sorts of terms we have. Um, but once we start studying the term and not the event, that's confusing the construct and the event, right? Okay. So, you know, you have people sometimes doing, you know, let's say I'm, I studied blank. Like diffusion. Sure, some um, term that's popular in an act or something. And then you think, well, what was that? Like, it wasn't that. Well, then you look, um, it turned out it was this and this and this exercise. Okay, so you probably did some sort of study on, you know, stimulation with respect to, you know, it, that when you confuse the term with what you're studying, you lose some sort of closeness to it mm -hmm. and it can be kind of vague and um and you know those in my very limited i will say um experience looking at some of that literature it all varies it's all different all sorts of different things um and you know i think something can be lost when those things are then you know, you know, you go to a workshop on some term, you get a protocol on some term, mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing becomes this other thing. Okay. Careful, you know, not that that thing's bad. Actually, yeah. turns out that thing's probably pretty good as far yeah. as I can tell, as far as research shows and all that. Um, but careful not to remember what you're actually interested in. And okay. um, Cantor really, really... Um, calls attention to to that distinction. And it's one that I've really liked because I, I see people get confused. Do you have any examples in, like in the ACT world? I know you have an article coming up, it's soon to be published. Yeah, I mean, I think all of those terms, um, you know, um, where there's a values-based exercise or a diffusion exercise or a mindfulness, some, um, again, all good um but when they become a thing that mm. is packaged and delivered um and then it just sort of gets it you could risk um you know applying it sloppily kind okay. of you know don't forget that's a construct that is applied that that's you know those are words that we use to talk about blank um, mm -hmm. And that part, I think, is sometimes missing mm -hmm. in that 
and then you're 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 getting uh, away from the event the thing that okay. you're interested in yeah. and and you can't avoid that by the way i mean that's that's not to say terms are bad or yeah. that we should just you know all stay as close to the event as we can and never say anything at all which you know uh might be cool for a while but we i don't know what what that would lead to probably nothing right um but um but to just be cautious about that and i think you know especially i think you you see lots of interest in in act in behavior analytic circles which is great by the way mm -hmm. um um but you know, you start throwing around these terms, and I say, well, "What are you doing? Like, what did that? Well, I gave them a worksheet. Okay, well, like when, or like uh, how did it? Like for what? It it mm -hmm. just something can get um, something can get lost. So yeah. just yeah, sort yeah. of a word of you know the distinction between constructs and events is really just a a cautionary kind of careful not to get too into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Been a term about this and this, and pretty soon I'm like, I don't know what what's going on here. I got kind of like the the menu is not the meal. Is this sure? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what kind of feedback you get on your on your article. Sure. Me too. Hope <laughs> someone reads it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they will. They will. Um, yeah. And yes, yeah, it's I think it's a it's the the I really appreciate your philosophical approach and uh it's it's it helps me broaden my my thinking repertoire and uh whatnot cool. around around all this stuff, you know. Cool. Yeah. Well, ideally, you know, it it helps people also like I said stay closer to the what's happening um mm -hmm. and i think that's why i'm so drawn to it that you know it keeps us close to the complexity of what's happening keeps us away from mentalistic thinking mm -hmm. you know um and to me those are pretty major uh, major things yeah yeah so you know i think it's a good time um for behavioral kind of thinking um i think it's definitely evolving on the whole um and you know i too have found myself um interested in um kind of the i guess what you'd call the cbs work in the sense that it's complicated work and i think that there's a field nature to it mm -hmm. that's sort of waiting to be named yeah. um because it's again kind of what's happening and what what everyone is really talking about. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing your, uh, your wisdom yeah. and, uh, and wit here with me. And uh, I'm going to post um, uh, links to a couple articles. Uh, I think I'll, I'll probably post uh, our thoughts private and overcoming the pseudo problem of private events. I, I think that those are both like open source articles i'm not sure but I'll yeah make i think sure. so too yeah and uh, and also post uh, emily's article too that i mentioned oh perfect and and maybe a link to hotel california as well <laughs> is it really a good song <laughs> <laughs> and really? of course i of course i was not referencing the eagles i was referencing the gypsy kings okay because i the eagles suck i mean come on that's they really suck i'm just joking <laughs>
por el camino del desierto. 